About six months ago, I came across a concept called AQ. So we've heard of EQ and IQ, um, and AQ is basically touted as the third leg of the stool. So it's your adaptability quotient. And when I read about it, I was like, this makes logical sense to me. And basically, they were, Harvard was saying that this skill will be used as a measure of your ability to succeed in the future. And it will be a core competency to actually assess whether you actually get opportunities or not. And I was like, that's amazing. And I was like, okay, so who's teaching this? Welcome to episode 122 of Be The Drop, a weekly podcast sharing stories from inspiring people to help you tell your story and build your business. I'm Amelia Veal, Director at Narrative Marketing and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. The future of technology is both uncertain and disruptive, requiring many of our current systems in business and life to radically change in the next decade. With the speed of technology and AI advancements moving exponentially, it is crucial for our society, particularly our workforce and professional leaders, to understand technology and embrace the changes of the future. Penny Lacasso is an expert in technology and AI. After leaving her successful 16-year career in change management systems at Shell, she has become one of Australia's most well-regarded industry experts. Her knowledge on artificial intelligence and technology has been called upon internationally and at home, including consultation for the Senate and the National Curriculum. In today's episode of Be The Drop, Penny explores the potential for humans in the space of technology to amplify happiness in a world that is largely yet to be understood. Penny's concern for the future of humanism in tomorrow's technology is something we need to consider. It's a conversation that could ultimately lead us to lead more fulfilling and successful lives. Recorded live from Southstart, this is Penny's version of Be The Drop. Would you like to join me on a creative podcasting journey? Then head along to my first ever Adelaide Fringe show called Pop Your Podcast Cherry, an interactive podcasting event on Tuesday 19th or 26th of February at The Jade. Tickets are only $20 each and are available via the Fringe website. Link also in the show notes. I would love to see you there. Penny, thank you so much for joining me on our next episode of Be The Drop. Thanks for We're having me. We're here at South Start and you have just spoken about Human First. Mm. Can you give me a little bit of context about that and your story? Yeah, so six, uh, 16 years I spent as an executive within Shell. And then probably about four years ago, I had ticked a hell of a lot of boxes. So I was led to believe that success looked like a certain thing. And at the age of 39, I was kept being told I was successful. And I suppose all those boxes have been ticked and I started to ask myself, well, is this it? And what I found was first world problem. I wasn't depressed or anything like that, but I was like, I don't feel fulfilled. And when I started to ask myself, well, what if I actually define what happiness looks like on my terms rather than everybody else's, I found there was a huge disconnect between the two. And I went, well, you know what? I've kind of done that and ticked that box. So what if I just completely turn my life upside down in pursuit of happiness and watch what's ha- what happens? Because I can always go back. 
And so that's what I did. So within a seven month period, I left uh, an 18 year relationship, a 16 year career at the absolute top of my game, relocated my family from Perth back to Melbourne and started my own purpose driven company with the sole intent of positively impacting the lives of others. I don't advocate it, it was hard work, but damn, it was rewarding and, and worth it. Mm. That was the beginning of the journey. And I think I stepped into fear and the unknown in a way that I'd never done in my life. And I had no idea where it was gonna take me. But what happened was that um, I took action and what I found was not having a perfect plan and stepping into action bred clarity. And even though things didn't always work out the way that I'd intended, I learned something and I grew as a person and it was a stepping stone to where I was meant to be. So fast forward um, and about 18 months ago, as I've moved through that evolution, I became very um, passionate about how AI and technology was impacting humanity mm -hmm. and how there was huge potential for it to amplify humanity, um, but unfortunately the way we were unconsciously creating and engaging with it was actually having the reverse effect. And the more I started to talk about this and the more I started to learn about it, um, people were really interested. And my expertise have been in change for years, yeah, teaching people how to make change in bite-sized pieces. So I was like, well, you know what, I've been teaching thousands how to make change, so what if I actually taught people the human skills to thrive in a world of AI and tech? And so off the back of doing that, um, it's gone a little bit crazy in the last 12 months, you know. So this year, you know, 18 months ago, I was not considered an expert in the world of AI and, and tech. And uh, uh, this year, I've been called up by the Senate to give my perspectives on the future of work and the future of workers around AI and technology. I've been announced as one of the most influential female entrepreneurs in Australia. I was sent to Amsterdam to speak for one of the biggest tech companies in the world around humanising the future. Um, I was accepted into Singularity University and recently went to NASA to work with the top AI and tech innovators in the world. And now off the back of that, they've invited me back to actually be assessed for faculty to start to teach how to humanise the future and skills in that space. So it's been um, a very interesting journey. Yeah, to say the least. I'm like, wow, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, I love this, that it's around the human of the future because I do think so often we really get caught up in the technology and that's where the fear creeps in. But from the human perspective, there's so many amazing things that we can do in this space. So is that where you're speaking a lot? You know, what what is the main sort of focus of human first conversation. So um, again off this exploration of curiosity um, and joining dots and researching many people, about six months ago I came across a concept that was coming out of Harvard and a couple of thought leaders in the US, it's about six articles on this concept called AQ. So we've heard of EQ and IQ um, and AQ is basically touted as the third leg of the stool, so it's your adaptability quotient. And when I read about it I was like this makes logical sense to me and basically there was Harvard was saying that this skill set will be used as a measure of your ability to succeed in the future and it will be a core competency to actually assess whether you actually get opportunities or not and I was like that's amazing and I was like okay so who's teaching this and what I, I couldn't find anyone that was teaching people how to how to adapt and equally no one was measuring how you actually amplify the adaptability quotient of humans so I was like well first of all I'm going to rename a global term and so I said, because I don't think we have a problem with adapting, we're actually adapting, but it's unconscious. And that's what's impacting the mental well-being of our society. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to rename it and I'm going to call it intentional adaptability quotient. And I'm going to be the first person in the world to be able to develop a leadership program that skills people in the six foundational skills to amplify their intentional adaptability quotient. And I'm going to measure that shift using a tech platform over time. 
so that we can then use that data to cross-generation, high-grade the adaptability, intentional adaptability of our society. Mm. And I am beyond excited because mm. for me, I'm not here to develop a 10x business. I couldn't give a shit about being the Mark, next Mark Zuckerberg. It doesn't bother me. Mm. My intent is to positively impact humanity mm. and teach 10 million humans how to future-proof happiness by 2025. And at the moment, in a world where the only givens we have are uncertainty, discomfort and unknown, teaching people intentional adaptability will enable them to reinvent themselves time and time again off a foundation of meaning. And I think that's the best solution I can find at the moment. Mm, yeah, oh, I love it. I'm inspired listening. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, and I think really that the fact that you said, you know, we're unconsciously doing it because, you know, you see it when people experience traumatic experiences and they go through things and they get up and you think, ah, oh, that, you know, that adaptability and the coping mechanisms, they are there, yeah. but they're and sometimes, you know, the, the reverse is true and, and you mentioned mental health and they're not. So learning skills and empowering yourself to be able to, you know, be more adaptable sounds like, you know, such a fundamentally important thing. Well, we don't teach kids how to be skilled in embracing and creating change. So we don't even teach it at the grassroots. We still don't teach it. Why do you think companies are so shit at change still? Mm. You know, how many large... You're laughing because it's true, yeah? <laughs> how many... I can't tell you how many large organisations spend millions and billions of dollars on change. When do you ever hear of a change program going well? Because we are not skilling people in how to intentionally adapt. Yeah, I mean, I went through... I was a change agent at some oh, stage yes. along the way. We did six. We did the six hats. It was a good program, but um, it worked. It didn't work for all people. It worked for me because I'm a, a, one of the people that jumps across the burning bridge sort of picture yeah. that they showed in an early adopter, and I actually quite like change. But the people that were reluctant to change still struggled and the program didn't work. So that was quite interesting, that the variation in people's ability to change. So how do you sort of approach that? within the program that you're delivering? You need to find, I mean, think of the foundations of change. The first thing is you can't change without awareness. One thing I have learned through the speaking that I do is I think we would be lucky if 20% of the population has any idea of how far advanced artificial intelligence and technology is. Mm. And not only how far advanced it is, but you think it's impacted your life in the last 10 years. We are on an exponential growth curve and the speed and pace of change is getting faster and more disorientating. And how that's going to impact our lives in the next five years is going to be way more disruptive than what it has been in the last 10. Mm. Yeah. So. First of all, create awareness. So I am talking as much as I can and sharing with people examples of how far advanced things are. And what surprises me is even the educated people don't have any idea. The second thing is you've got to create desire. If people don't have a desire to change, they will not change. And people's motivations are different. Yeah, and unfortunately, I found that fear is a great way to create desire. The two reasons why people want to change in the context of what's going on at the moment, first of all, is I don't want to be left behind. The second big catalyst is people with kids. Yet so many parents come to me and say, how the hell do I skill my kids and help them in the context of you know, the path for the future when 65% of the jobs that exist today won't exist by the time my eight-year-old gets into the workforce? How can you skill them for jobs you don't even know? Mm. Yeah. And so again, intentional adaptability. So I play into those two levers to try and create a desire within people to, to want to be able to step into intentional adaptability. I'm not saying I'm going to be able to help everybody. And I'm also assuming that everybody needs help. Some people might not think that they do, you know, and maybe that's an assumption on my part. 
I'm just saying let's look at how we can support as many people as possible that do want to be able to create a future that enables humanity to thrive and use them as the ambassadors for change. Mm. So, you know, some of these things within that AI space, because it is a fascinating space, and, and I think some of that conversation around, you know, the ethics and the, the management and where we go and how we manage that is is really interesting conversation. Is that part of what you're, you get involved in with the humanisation of it? I get asked a lot about ethics. Um, I'm not an expert in ethics. I don't profess to be. Um, my challenge with what I know in this space is unfortunately technology is still highly unregulated. Yeah, so equal, because the government cannot keep up. If tech's not regulated, either are the ethics. So ethics in the tech space is still um, in their infancy in terms of how we deal with it. The other concern that I have is, well, two concerns that I have. One is that unfortunately the people who have uh, got the most power in the space of AI and tech at the moment, generally from what we have observed and not necessarily acting in the best interests of humanity, they're act often acting in the best interests of themselves, their ego and their financial gain. But equally with ethics, what we often find is, as I say, we're working, walking into the unknown. There are ethical issues we're going to have to deal with that we never even imagined. So it's, it's a chicken and egg situation, but I think there is a lot more conversation to be had and a lot more people that need to be engaged in that conversation to actually start considering, because technology is merely a mirror of humanity. It will only ever do what we allow it to do, yeah? Technology is not creating itself, we are creating it. And as I say, again, how do we make sure the people creating it have the right intention mm. and have a consciousness in what they're doing? Mm. They're such big questions. Yeah. You know, and as you say, people need to be having these conversations and talking about them and being consciously aware. So for you then, what is the most exciting thing about these conversations? Oh, I've been partnering with Deloitte recently and we've been running an event that I'm hugely passionate about called Humanising the Future of Work. And what we do is we get about 30 people through invitation in a room and we have senior executives through to leaders in education through to kids between the ages of 15 and 17. And the reason I do that is because I think it's really interesting that we have conversations about the future without the future in the room. So I'm all about putting the future in the room. And the reason I do that is because I think many grown-ups are struggling with the how. We don't have the answers or the solutions and these kids are smarter than any other generation that has come before them and they're dying to be heard and dying for a platform. Yeah. And equally, we know they're not getting the skills they need in the education system because it's developed on an industrial revolution that no longer exists. So by connecting them into these conversations, we give them the platform, we allow them to share some of the amazing ideas they have on solving problems that we can't solve. We're also giving them skills that they're not going to get potentially in an education system and profile and connections into business that they can leverage. Um, so I'm massively excited about creating space for conversations that matter and intergenerationally connecting people to come together and understand the differences between the generation and how we can use those differences to solve some of the biggest problems that we have. Mm. Mm. It does. And I like that idea, you know, as you say, putting the future in the room. It makes sense. It's so ignorant of us, yeah, yeah. to not do that. It's like what, what, these kids aren't wise and it's it's... Yes, it's great to be wise, but what we're now finding is the people who think that they're so wise, yeah, that have spent years building up that wiseness, 
Um, the reality is that you can bring young people into a room who think fundamentally differently and can solve problems that we haven't been able to solve for years. Mm. So let's, let's take the best of both, yeah? But let's not dismiss them because they're young. Let's actually encourage them and give them the platform to be part of the solution. And so for you then, what are the biggest challenges around you know, the humanising of AI and technology? I don't think we have a lot of time to skill people in intentional adaptability before, like, based on the current speed of change. I don't aspire, as I say, to have some ridiculously huge company. I aspire to find the right partners that already have the resources, yeah, that I can tap into and train them to be able to help me train others globally so that we can help as many people as possible be intentionally adaptable, which means that it's like teaching them how to fish, which means that they have the skills to care enough, but equally to be able to reinvent the future with a passion for humanity. Mm-hmm. So interesting times in that space. And just finally, you know, you're here at South Start speaking with this great, you know, I think that I think the community here is going to be one that's really open and embraceive to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Have you been having those sorts of conversations? You know, what are your thoughts on on what's happening in the in this startup space in Adelaide? I think the startup space is really interesting, yeah. I think we we definitely need to look again at how we feed this ecosystem because if there is one thing we need, it is greater innovation and problem solving. Uh, but I equally, you know, and I love being here and I love meeting people with that energy around doing things differently. But again, I think what's become very trendy in the last two years is entrepreneurship. <laughs> okay, and what I observe as someone who is apparently an entrepreneur, what, what I used to, I probably would have been called a small business owner in the past, yeah, but what I observe is I think you'd be lucky if 5% of the population actually wants to be an entrepreneur or has the skills and the capacity to persist and go through with it. Mm. Yeah. So I actually think one of the most powerful conversations we can start to have is how do we actually amplify and skill the entrepreneur? But don't get me wrong, I love the ecosystem, totally happy um, to be a part of it. And I think, but I think there's so much support around it, but these entrepreneurs are gonna need people who are gonna wanna work for them. So how do we start to cultivate a conversation around making the entrepreneur sexy again? Mm, And bringing the purpose with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I love it. Lots, Lots of things to look out for and think about. Thank you. Thanks for having me in Adelaide. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that.